Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, like John mentioned, page two in the scripture is where we're going to be. And uh, we, we've been in uh, a journey, a sermon series through the book of Genesis that we've just been calling A Bigger Story. And it's been a really fun series. Pen, it's like messing our hearts up. And uh, if you've missed any of the previous weeks, we don't ever mention this. This is not a plug, but I would encourage you, go back, check out the podcast. And here's why. Because these episodes kind of build on each other. And so you're kind of jumping into the middle of a series and you're kind of on episode six. And so if you missed it, like go back, check, because it all is pointing uh, to a bigger story. And the reason that we love Genesis is because at the very heart of this thing, like this story is all about a God who takes the unlivable chaos of our world And he creates a space of order and beauty so that life can flourish and so that we can enjoy him. And if you don't understand really the first three pages of Genesis, then it's going to be really hard for us to understand the rest of the story. That the opening pages of the Bible are much like the opening movement of a symphony where we're given the core melodies that are going to be on repeat and cycled through and reactivated as the story goes on all the way to the last page. And we're gonna see some of that today. But you and I as Westerners, we have this tendency to approach this book, this Bible, with all of our cultural biases and our presumptions that cause us to miss out on the bigger story that God is telling. And in this series, our our attempt has been to kind of reframe and retell the story of the gospel in a new and fresh way. Because sadly, many, many of us have been taught a smaller, shrunken, and maybe even skewed version of the gospel. And we've used this illustration that it's like if you have this imperfect fitting cotton t-shirt and you love it and, it, and man, you feel photo ready for this, but then you throw it into the dryer and you're not paying attention, that thing comes out and it's shrunk on you. And so you put it on and it's super tight and your midriff showing. Well, what do you do with that? What do you do with this skewed t-shirt? Really, you have two options. You can either give it away or you throw it away. And what we've seen is that in our our culture, that this is what's happening with so many people is they deconstruct their faith and they walk away from the church and Jesus and the scripture. And I think the primary reason that that is, is because we've been given a shrunken, smaller version of the story that doesn't fit anymore. But what if it's a bigger story? What if it's way bigger than we thought? And so we've been talking about each week that this story here that we see, it starts with this prologue where we find out that this is all about God. Like it's his story and it's huge and it includes everything and it should affect everything that we do and everything that we are. 
And the story starts in the beginning where God makes a beautiful world out of unlivable chaos where humanity and the entire creation was actually meant to flourish. But pretty quickly, the plot thickens and humanity thinks that they have a better idea of the way things should be run down here. And the whole thing just falls apart, creating a need for the hero. And the entire Old Testament, although filled with some really pretty wild stories uh, that we get kind of distracted by, is all one giant promise that God sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in the darkness and he loves us too much to leave us here. And one day, one day he's sending a hero to fix every bit of it. And so God sends in Matthew the hero on a rescue mission to come after us. And this hero is not what anyone expected because the hero is actually God himself. That God was willing to leave his throne room, wrap himself in human flesh, and then move into our neighborhood. And he walks on earth for 33 years, perfect, teaching us what it looks like to be fully alive and to be fully human. And in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the creator rescues the entire creation and begins to restore it. And in the final scene, the one that you and I are in right now, it's all about a new beginning where the creator is renewing human beings through grace and through the work of his spirit. And he's beginning to restore his creation. And he's using us to restore his creation until one day, the ultimate restoration happens when Jesus returns. Church, it's a really big story. It's a really big story that we get invited into. And many of us, we've settled for a smaller one. So we're gonna dive into Genesis chapter two. And today, we're gonna look at the story of these two strange trees that find themselves in the very center of the garden in the center of the story. And so today's message, we're just gonna call a tale of two trees. Okay, And these two trees are going to pose all kinds of questions for us uh, if they haven't already in your life. Because it's, it's kind of weird, you know? So let's look at it again. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he formed. And the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it, to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any of the trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat of it, you will certainly die. So the story of the Bible begins in a garden, this amazing sacred space where divinity and humanity get to cohabitate. And it's beautiful. And right in the middle of this garden, we're introduced to these two trees. First, the tree of life, and then second, the tree of knowing good and bad, which begs the question, what's the deal with these trees? Like, what are they all about? What's their purpose? Well, let's zero in today 
specifically on the tree of life. We're going to go deeper into the tree of knowing good and bad next week, but let's zero in the tree of life. What is it? What's it all about? And I think I didn't grow up in church, and so when I first started hearing this story, I kind of felt like uh, it sounds like a cosmic, you know, fountain of youth. You know, if you eat of this tree, then you'll just live forever, right? But really, at its core, we're going to find this out later in the story, that the tree represents God's life-giving presence. And it represents eternal life that is made available to all of humanity. In fact, God's first command here is for them to eat of all of the trees, including this one. So the idea here for Adam and Eve is that by eating of the tree of life, that they're ingesting God's own life-giving presence. Kind of sounds intense, right? Well, it's ultimately an invitation into intimacy and trust. That this fruit, this food is meant to transform the one who eats it, or in the words of the story, it leads to eternal life. Eternal life. Now, this, that, that phrase, we, we've heard a lot, eternal life. You don't have to like grow up in church to know that. Now, as Westerners, we hear those words and we translate them almost immediately to the idea of quantity of life. Like, think about living forever once we die. When you hear eternal life, that's what you think, right? To maybe translate it into our vernacular, we view eternal life like a golden ticket into heaven where we live forever. Okay, that's our Western mindset. That is not the Eastern mindset. That is not at all what they would have thought. That actually, they say that if it's all about quantity, it's actually a very shrunken view of the story. And you're missing out on the bigger one. It's not about quantity of life. It's way more about quality of life. And so you may be asking, okay, well, what, what do you mean by that, Drew? Well, the Hebrew word for eternal life is the word chaya olam. Now, it better translates as life unto the age. Life unto the age. Or let me break it down even to more our language. It translates better to the fullness of life right now. Not one day, but right now. That life until that age, until whatever the next age is, you get to experience life right now. Or maybe the best way to understand it is this. It's a life of an infinite potential. That's what's offered by the tree of life. A life of infinite potential or life to the fullest in all areas of your world. Like ultimately, yes, in a relationship with the creator of the universe but also the fullness of life. This affects our marriages, our finances. It affects us, our personal health, our mental health, all areas. And we're told that this tree offers humanity life into the age, a life of infinite potential, life to the fullest, because it connects us to God's like, life source. It connects us to, it, to him. Like if you just pause for a second, like how cool does that sound? Like if I told you that we had this tree of life and we were offering and selling off its fruit, like how amazing does that sound? To get to experience this life-giving presence of God and it affect every area of our world. This is super cool. But there's a problem 
on the way to the tree of life, the humans have to pass by another tree called the tree of knowing good and bad. And this poses a choice for humanity. The tree of life is, this is life on God's terms, which is going to lead to eternal life, life to the fullest, or life on your own terms, where you get to decide what's good and bad, which ultimately leads to death. So set before Adam and Eve and all of humanity is this life and death decision. And God says, if you eat of the second tree, you're, you're gonna die. But how exactly does that work? Because if you know the rest of the story, they end up eating from the, the tree of death. And do they die instantly? No, they don't. So it's kind of weird. So what's up with all of this? Well, the tree of knowing good and bad represents us not trusting God and thinking that we get to determine, we get to decide what's good and bad in our own eyes, that we get to decide. Now, here's the deal. If you think that this isn't a big deal, just look back through the pages of human history when people get to decide what's good and bad in their own eyes and how that ends. Like it leads to a lot of broken relationships, violence, death, war. And so here's the thing, both trees look awesome. Both of them are beautiful, but one of them makes a promise that it can't actually keep. And it's actually a false tree of life. And sadly, Adam and Eve, they're tempted to be the masters of their own life and choose this false tree of life. And then all of a sudden, once that happens, they quickly blame shift. They start to point to each other. No, it's not my fault, it's the, it's the woman's fault. No, it's not my fault, it's the snake's fault. Well, actually, God, it's kind of your fault because you did all this. And so they just kind of blame shift and uh, they get exiled from the garden and all seems lost. If the story ends right there, it's really sad. It's pretty depressing. They forfeit all the beauty and joy and life was at, that was at their fingertips. And the whole world fractures. Like it fractures and it breaks. And let's just, can we just be honest? We, we feel that today, right? Like you, you don't watch the news for very long. Like you don't have to scroll through your social media feed for very long before you look around and you're like, yeah, this is it's pretty broken. Like it's jacked up. Which then raises a question, is that it? I mean, we're, we're, we can't get back to the garden, can we? Is this just like the way it is now? Is there any hope? Is eternal life lost? Can we get back to the tree of life? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, the entire Old Testament, like we mentioned earlier, is this giant promise that God's not done yet. Like he's not just going to leave us where we are. He hasn't given up on humanity. He's actually going to fight for us to have the opportunity to choose between life and death again. And that's the story that's repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament, okay? 
Now, if you're like, I'm not so sure about this, let me give you an example, and this is one of my favorites. Uh, later on in the story, uh, we meet a man by the name of Moses. You guys remember him? And uh, he encounters God on the top of a mountain, much like the Garden of Eden. And Moses is told, hey, take off your sandals because you're standing on sacred space. Okay? Uh, sound familiar? Then God's presence shows up. Uh, and does anybody remember what? A burning bush. Okay. Or what the Jews would call a desert tree. The word bush and the word tree in Hebrew are the same word. Eights. So God shows up in a tree on a mountain in a sacred space. Come on now. Come on. Now, so this tree, this mountain, it's radiating, radiating with God's life and power just like the tree of life. And God tells Moses, if you're going to bring my people to this mountain and we're going to form a partnership a marriage-type relationship. And in this partnership, God's going to set before them a choice. Life on God's terms that leads to eternal life. And he's going to kind of give them the big ten there. A life that flourishes. Or they can choose life on their own terms that leads to death. Will they eat of the false trees? Will they receive life from the true God? And what do they do? Like Moses doesn't even get down to the bottom of the mountain to the people of Israel before they've already created a golden calf and are worshiping another false tree. A tree that said that it could give life but leads to death. And what do they do? They respond just like Adam and Eve did and they start to blame shift. It was like, ah, man, listen, we just gave our gold to Aaron. And he just threw it into the fire, and this calf just jumped out. I don't even know how it happened. It's not my fault. And they just blame shift. You, you're going to see this story recycle quite a bit. It gets repeated over and over again. This is the first of many stories just like this. So what's the point? Why, why share that with you? I think that we have a tendency in the back of our minds, we would never maybe say this, but we think, well, if I was Adam, or if I was Eve, I wouldn't have eaten from that tree of knowing good and bad. Like if it was up to me, surely I wouldn't have listened to the snake. Like I, I would have always went to the tree of life. And the story that the Old Testament shows us is that every single generation that has come before us, when faced with a life and death decision, the tree of life under God's terms that leads to eternal life or the tree of death and life in our own terms, every generation chooses the false trees of life that lead to self-destruction, exile, and death. Humanity has a rich history of choosing the tree of death over the tree of life. So, if you read through the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, you get to the end of this thing, and it's just dark and broken and hopeless. And so, you're kind of like, is, what now? Well, it's in this really dark, in this really hopeless time of human history, 
that this Jesus of Nazareth, he just enters the scene. And Jesus starts making these really big claims about himself. And he's inviting people into a fuller life, a life of ultimate potential. And he's restoring people's health and the blind can see and the cripples start walking and literally dead people come back to life. He even claims to be the author, the sustainer, and the source of life itself. And he invites people to choose him, to follow him so that they can experience true life and miss out on death. What? Like, this is good news. Now, the disciple John, he's obsessed with this idea. And if you just look at his biography of Jesus' life, uh, it's just filled. It's on almost every page. But um, in chapter 3, we get to eavesdrop um, on this private conversation between Jesus and one of the most prestigious religious leaders of the time, who's super confused, but also kind of intrigued by this Jesus, okay? And the religious ruler essentially asked Jesus, what's your deal? Like, what are you all about? Okay, and then Jesus tells him this. I love it. He says that the God of the universe is still so in love with you and I. In fact, he loves the world so much that he sent me, Jesus, as the hero on a rescue mission. That whoever chooses me won't die, but will have instead chaya olam, everlasting life. I'm sorry. Did Jesus just say eternal life? A life of ultimate potential through him? This should, like, triggers, okay? Now, John, he also quotes Jesus in chapter 10 of his book. He says that Jesus, he he says this, he uses this word. I've come to give you life. And not just that, but life to the fullest, like abundant life. Life like you've never thought possible. Like, that's, that's what Jesus says. What Jesus is using, and every Jewish person would have been listening. And here they go, wait a second, time out. That's tree of life language, Jesus. You can't say that unless, unless Jesus is saying that he is the tree of life. Later on, John quotes Jesus in chapter 15, and he says this. Jesus says, I am the true vine, eights, tree. It's the same word. My father is the ultimate gardener. Come on. Like, are you, are you seeing this? And then John also says, he quotes Jesus when he says that, that he was a seed. Where, where do seeds come from? Trees. What do seeds turn into? Trees. Okay, and then what's this? He says that he was a seed of God's life that would die in the ground but then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. Jesus is referring to himself as the tree of life. Jesus is saying, I 
and the tree of life. Then, not now, whoa, whoa, wait, hold up. Now it starts to make sense when Jesus says really weird things that kind of throw you off, like, hey, unless you eat of my flesh, you don't get eternal life. Unless you eat of this tree, you don't get to experience the life that you're looking for. This is wild. Jesus, the tree of life, is presenting people with a new choice between life and death. Now, this time, what will the people of Israel choose? Death again. Like, not only do they choose death, they choose to kill the one who gives and sustains all of life. And Jesus' death shows us the sad and violent result of what happens when humanity does what's good in their own eyes. So what happens? Jesus is led up to the top of a hill. And he's placed upon what? You're jumping ahead and I love it. Yes, a tree. Oh, we may say cross, but what's a cross made out of? Wood. Where's wood come from? A tree. Guys, I, like I'm, not, I'm not trying to like force this. Like this is what, I mean, and Paul later on in his Bible is going to say so many times, Isaiah prophesies this, that you're cursed if you hang on a tree. And then Paul refers back to this. All of this to the Jewish mindset, like the bells are going off and they're like, are you kidding me? Jesus dies on a tree and his body is placed into the ground like a seed? Come on, it's so good. And then three days after being placed into the ground, Jesus walks out of the grave, proving that he really is the keeper of life, that he really is the tree of life. This is so good, oh my gosh, it's so good. And now, this new tree of life stands before us today, right now, offering us once again the same choice that faced Adam and Eve in the garden. Will you choose God's way that leads to life and life to the fullest, a new way of being human? Or will you continue to choose your own way that continually leads to death? So how, how does this play out in our lives? Like, how do we choose Jesus? How do we experience the tree of life? Um, this is for me. I, I want you to hear from the Lord. I don't want to push this, but, but I've just been thinking about this through this week. When I, when I choose to, to trust Jesus, to step off the throne of my life and let him be captain, when I, when I eat of that, and let's say like my marriage. When I choose to go, hey, Jesus paints this picture that even though he's God, like he didn't come here to be served, but rather to serve. Like he was willing to lay his life down on a cross. And so in my marriage, when I, if, I, if that's God's way, then how do, how do I lay my life down for my spouse? You go, oh, but Drew, they don't deserve it. Like we did. Like, and so... 
Okay, I think it's the, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the wives clapping. Um, but when I choose to, to not fight for my rights and, and, and clean the dishes even though I did them last night, when I choose to like go above and beyond to love my wife, and watch this, don't miss this. What the scripture is going to paint, and we're going to see it a lot later, is that in that moment, I get a chance to invite heaven, invite the Garden of Eden into my home. And th- does it happen instantly? No. Nothing in life happens good instantly. But it's cultivating the ground to make my home start to feel a little bit more like heaven. Like, think about it just in, in our generosity. When, when, when we choose to go, God, like, I think you really know what's going on. And, and you have blessed me beyond comparison. I have way more than I need. And so with my finances, I can be radically generous to those that I see. I don't have to try to hoard all of this stuff up. Why? Because you, you give me life. And, and I can look for opportunities to be good news to other people through, through, through my sacrificial giving or, or through my talents. God, you've uniquely wired me a certain way. And so when I come underneath your lordship and I use the gifts and the talents that you, you've given me to make my family and our community look and touch and smell and feel a little bit more like heaven. That's what I get to do. Or with my time. God, I, I trust you. And so I can create margin in my, my schedule. So I'm not running around like crazy and always checking my phone and I can be fully present in the moment in front of somebody else. And I don't, I can see them, I can love them, I can listen to them. I can enjoy what you're giving me. I can experience life and life to the fullest right here, right now. Or, listen, we don't have time to even get into this. Galatians 5, Paul kind of unpacks this. He's like, hey, the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of coming underneath Jesus' lordship and eating of the tree of life is, 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 is love. Oh, come on. Like, who doesn't want more of that in their life? Not, not only love, it's like there's joy. Oh, my gosh, joy that surpasses, like, all this, like, man, the circumstances that are in my life. That even though maybe I'm going through hard times, there's still this sense of joy because of the tree of life. There's, there's, there's peace. There's shalom. There's this, I'm not stressed. I'm not worried. I'm not l- worried and living in tomorrow where I'm not like living in regret about all my past stuff. Like, no, I'm fully present and I'm in peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Whoa. That sounds amazing. Sign me up. That's what's before us. This this tree of life. And you choose. Today, you will choose. Tomorrow morning, you'll wake up by the grace of God, your heart's still beating and there's oxygen in your lungs and you'll choose. you'll, You'll choose. Gosh, so good. Now, you got one more thing in me? Real quick, I'll be fast. You're like, man, this is awesome. We could stop here. It goes a little bit crazier. Okay, watch this. <laughs> really kind of one and a half more things. Okay, John 15, we just read that. Jesus, like I, I'm, I'm the tree of life. If you read the rest of that chapter, he says this. 
not only am I the tree of life, you're the branches. When you surrender your life to Jesus and you get adopted into the family, you get grafted into the tree of life. Now a branch of the tree of life. And as we abide with him, the Bible, Jesus is gonna say, you're gonna produce fruit just like in the Garden of Eden. And what's the fruit for? For the world in which we live to be able to taste and see that he really is good so that they can experience the same everlasting life that you're experiencing. That we get to be the branches of the tree of life in northwest San Antonio producing fruit so that more people get grafted into the family. What? What? Could you imagine if every believer actually believed that? Could you imagine what Northwest San Antonio would feel like? What it would be like? Could you imagine the impact and the good news that this community would bring if we really did function as branches bearing fruit so that all of the world could taste and see and experience everlasting life? Sad reality. Majority of churches are filled with a bunch of branches that are disconnected from the tree, that are completely content to show up once a week, take up a seat, sing songs for an hour and 15 minutes, call it a week, and never fully be grafted in, never producing fruit. Jesus is gonna say, you know a tree by its fruit. Dead trees produce dead fruit. Alive trees produce alive fruit. If we're grafted in, Jesus says in John 15, this is not about your performance. Get that out of your head. Stop, it's not about your striving. No branch just like musters up all the energy and produces fruit. What's a branch do? It just stays attached to the tree. And if it's attached to the tree, the byproduct of that, it will produce fruit. So what is happening? in the American church. Like what, where we anticipate just two or three people to produce all of the fruit for the community. Like we even use language sometimes, we don't mean to. Like yeah, I got this like, this, this unbelieving neighbor. So instead of me taking the fruit that's budding on my branch, we think, well, I, I, gotta, I gotta take them to basis. I gotta take them to church so the professionals can give their fruit to them. Mm. What the heck is going on? Is it possible that we started living for a much smaller story? And what if we're invited into a much bigger story? more epic adventure than you ever thought possible.
the end of the book, last page, it ends with the tree of life in the very center of a garden that's turned into a city. That's how the book ends. Once again, us posed with the question, will we choose life or will we choose death? The author of Deuteronomies says this, hey, right in front of you today, there's two decisions. There's life and there's death. Which will you choose? And then he pleads. He says, please, please choose life. Not just for you, but for your kids, for the generations that are gonna come behind you. Choose life because it's worth it. So, church, I wanna just give us space this morning just to sit with Jesus and to process. And if you're new, we do this every week, but we just give you 120 seconds. It's not long, it's two minutes. And I want you to be honest today. Like what, what is God speaking to you? What is he whispering? What is he highlighting to you? Where's the spirit moving in, in you? Maybe what what's he asking you to do? And I want you to just, I mean, you, you get these questions, if they're helpful, if not, ignore them. But if all of this is true, what would change about your life? Like what would change in the life of our community or in the life of those that we work alongside of or the people that we live next to? If we started living into a bigger story, what would that look like? Here's the deal. Whatever you're feeling right now, whether it feels positive, negative, there's a challenge, there's encouragement, wherever, whatever you're feeling right now, I want you to know, I want you to see it through this lens. It is an invitation of Jesus into intimacy and into a fuller life and into a bigger story. So don't run from it, sit with it. Take two minutes and just process. Well, God, what are you saying to me? Cool, your time. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.